Hello and welcome. My guest today is Austin Reef, the co-founder and CEO of Morning Brew, a daily newsletter with over 4 million subscribers. It actually might have more than 4 million. It might be like 6 million. It's wild. It's so popular. It's a business newsletter. And in this conversation, Austin spoke about his content diet, who he admires, the one podcast everyone needs to listen to if they're creating a startup, why he's taking Twitter seriously in 2023, and much more. One major ask from you before we get into the episode, please share it. Share this podcast. If you enjoy it, you listen, you enjoy, you tell one person about it, or maybe multiple people about it. There's no ads on this podcast, so it's the least you can do. Instagram story, Twitter post, text it to a friend. Thank you in advance. I really appreciate you sharing this podcast if you choose to do so. And now, coming up on this episode with Austin Reef. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what we're doing is not working. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's not working. We have no, I didn't know what, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And then I heard of a few people who read this book. And what the problem was, was we had no plan, right? We had no vision. We had no values. We had no alignment. Austin, thank you for joining me here today. Really excited to have you on the podcast. Been a long time admirer. And just when I started this podcast, you were one of the people I wanted to have on. So really grateful for you to be here today. Awesome. I'm glad we found some time to do it. I'm pumped. Hell yeah. So you said, this is a quote from you, we didn't intend for Morning Brew to be a business. And if we did, we thought about it as a and if we thought about it as a business in 2015, I think it would have failed. We would have made short-term decisions to make a little money here or there, but because it was a side project, we didn't. I find this fascinating because today Morning Brew is an entire conglomerate. It's a huge thing. But back when it started, it was not something that you considered to even cross that mark of being a business. So my question to you is, how does it feel now to be in the position of running a huge business, but also reflecting back on that? What is, what is it like? Yeah, I, I mean, it, in some ways, it's surreal. In other ways, it it's one of those things where it, it hasn't hit me yet, right? It's, uh, you know, there, there's two ways things typically happen, right? Uh, they can happen like, you know, overnight or stepwise, or they can happen very gradually. With Morning Brew, it's been day by day, very gradual. We have only raised a very small amount of capital. It grew day after day. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, we raised $100 million and valuation stepped up by 10x or anything like that. So it was gradual. And I got that question a lot, actually, when we hit a million subscribers. People were like, what does it feel like? And I was like, well, you know, yesterday we had 999,999. Today we have a million. And they're cool milestones. And it's time to reflect and, and celebrate the wins. But ultimately, when you have a gradual rise, uh, it, it, it's just different, and, and, and I think it, it hits you a little bit less because you every day feel you know you don't feel these one percent increases, uh, but you know, over time that compounds to, to big changes. When did it feel different for you? So, to give the story quickly, or just not even the story, just some context. Twenty fifteen, we, we 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 sent out the first newsletter March fourteenth, twenty fifteen. Summer of twenty sixteen, I thought it was a side project. I went to do an internship in investment banking. 
end of summer 2016, right? So August, that's when we started thinking, hmm, maybe we should quit. Alex, maybe should quit his job. Me, maybe I should go full time. We met at a bar, Union Square, uh, the, the infamous uh, bar now that I point out all the time. And I decided to go full time, took all my classes, pass, fail. Uh, 2017, I went full time for my, the, the whole year I was in college, I took my class, pass, fail, like I said. Uh, and then I left Michigan and started working. And it still felt like a tinkery side project, right? But 2018 was that big year of change. 2018, we went from 100,000 to a million subscribers. But there were some months where we went from, I think one month we went from 500,000 to 750,000, or like five to 675. And those are the months where, you know, you feel like you have this energy, like, oh, like something crazy is happening to me right now. Like my life is about to change, right? It, it is crazy. And th those were the months, right? Let's call it summer to fall 2018, where we were like, okay, we know this might, we didn't know it might be worth $100 million or $200 million. We weren't sure what the cap was, but we knew we had something. We knew we had something sustainable that we could, you know, that would be profitable, that would make a lot of money. How we'd make that money, we weren't sure. But that, you know, when you're growing 10, 15, 20,000 subs a day and your newsletter is 500,000, it's, it's a crazy feeling. So you guys stumble across Instagram stories. You're one of the first people to ever do Instagram stories and advertise there. What does that feel like to be in that moment? Like, give me a, give me the, you're growing 10,000 10, subscribers a day. Like, what does that feel like in that moment? You, you can't explain it, right? It is, you know, with a newsletter, it's interesting, right? Because there, there really are no signs of, of product market fit in the same way of a tech product because you're so data poor. But what I will say is those nights, so we were one of the first advertisers to advertise on Instagram uh, story ads, right? We weren't one of the first on Instagram stories. But we knew we'd heard a rumor that the ad product was opening up. And at the time, Instagram stories ads were opt-in, not opt-out. Right now, you kind of just like buy Facebook's whole, whole network. But at the time, you have to like click a button and say, hey, I've uploaded images in the right format, the right size. You know, the grid is different than stories. And I mean, so, so again, we were a bootstrap business. We were pouring every penny back into growth, but we'd spent, you know, a couple grand a day in marketing at the most. And we were spending so much money that we got an email from Facebook at like 8 PM. Hey, you hit your Facebook limit. We didn't even know we had a Facebook ads limit. It was $10,000 a day. And so then me and one of our first employees, Tyler Dank, who's now the CEO of Beehive, we're like, oh shit, what do we do? Like, what the fuck? Like, you know, we gotta talk to Facebook. And we're like, oh, how do we get in touch with Facebook, you know? And, you know, when, when you see, oh, you're acquiring subscribers for three pennies, five pennies, 10 cents, even a dollar, it's, I mean, it, it, it was just, it, it's like, it's euphoria, right? It, it, it feels like you're on a drug, especially for the first two weeks. And we didn't sleep for two weeks straight. It was just like a high. Um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was absolutely insane. A feeling I'll probably never have in my life ever again. Okay, so fast forwarding a lot, what's it then like to talk to Mr. Beast about email newsletters in general? Yeah, I, it, it, it's it's super interesting because I find this with a lot of people, right? Where to me, email newsletters are so basic, it's so simple, it's so obvious. But then you talk to to Jimmy, and he's like asking me all these questions. He's like, you know, I, I you know I, I know nothing. I'm like, dude, but you know, you, you know YouTube, you know TikTok. Those are way more complex platforms to me. Uh, and so it's one of those things, and I, I think it's one thing I struggle with, and I think a lot of people struggle with, 
you know, oftentimes the most knowledgeable person is not the best teacher, right? And it's because hmm. it's hard sometimes to uh, explain something to someone. So it's really cool when people ask me for, for advice on newsletters, but it's one of those things where I kind of forget how much I've learned and it's tough to break things down in a simple way for people, uh, even though it is a really simple medium, right? It's And all content simple. It's create great content. That is the, the first and really only important thing. If you create great content, everything else is is the, the 20%. But the 80%, the thing that really matters is creating great content. I, I want to get back to that. But before, it was like, what what was Jimmy like in person? What was it like to talk shop with him like that? Like what learnings did you get from him? I mean, he is, he, he, he's amazing because I, I've met, I have this thing, my family kind of like teased me about this. I, I don't know celebrities at all, but like, I, I don't watch, I used to especially not really watch movies. So like, I'd be like, that person's famous. I don't know who they are. And so I have a thing. I like, I'm very good at spotting celebrities, right? Even though I don't know who they are. I'm like, oh, that person's famous. They're definitely like a movie star. And I'll be like, yeah, that's like Angelina Jolie. I was like, ah, like, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I get made fun of all the time because I don't know very famous musicians or whatever. Uh, but Jimmy was so interesting in the fact that he was both such a guy, like ultimately just like, just a guy, you know, like you, you ever meet, and I brought the celebrity thing because sometimes you meet celebrities and you're like, oh, just a normal dude, like just a, just a guy. And so part of Mr. Beast is like, he's just another guy. He's just playing Catan. He's sitting back. He's hanging. He doesn't have this aura versus, you know, I met Justin Bieber and like Justin Bieber just has like this aura. You're like, oh, that's not a, that, that's not just a guy. That's Justin fucking Bieber. Like that's, that's not, Jimmy didn't have that. But on the other hand, Mr. Beast had like this, this uh, Steve Jobs, this Elon Musk in him where he's, he's maniacal about the things he cares about. He's so focused when it comes to something that he's going to do, there is nothing that's going to stop him. And so He's taken, I think he's one of the only ones, and I think people have learned, but he's taken the craft of, of creating, but taken the resiliency and the, the determination of an entrepreneur. And that combination is, is scary. I mean, one, one example was there was a live taping of My First Million that I was watching. It was Hassan Minhaj, Jimmy, Sean, and Sam. And somehow in the conversation, like, and this is probably midnight, like 1 a.m. And somehow at some point, the idea of playing a horse comes up, right? We're at this basketball camp, which I met them. But we weren't at a basketball court. And Mr. Beast is like, oh, let's play right now. And we're all like, yeah, that's funny. Like, let's play. And he's like, no, no, let's go find a gym that's open. And it's like 1 a.m. And we're like, dude, what are you talking about? And he's like, I'll pay anyone 10 grand to open up their gym. We've got to play horse right now. And I mean, his team is like on their phones trying to find an open gym. And I mean, he's just a different level of determination. He, he really does have that Steve Jobs, Elon Musk in him. Wow. Yeah, that, that must be fascinating. What, who's been the person you've been most starstruck by? Starsh, I mean, B Bieber was probably the only one where I was like, yeah, that's, that's Justin Bieber. You know, that, like, <laughs> it, it was, um, it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, I met a bunch of athletes and, and, you know, I mean, Justin Bieber's what top 25 famous person in the world. And I, I didn't meet him. Maybe not. Right. He's up there though. And I didn't meet him in the context of like, Oh, I'm going to a concert and doing a meet and greet. Right. I like walked into a tennis clubhouse and he was sitting there. And I sat next to him. We just like chatted about smoothies, you know, <laughs> so, smoothies, smoothies, not yeah, newsletters. 
He wasn't no, asking you? <laughs> no, no, no. He, uh, he wasn't like, oh, it's the morning brew guy, which I'm sure that's what he was thinking. I'm sure he's like, holy shit, it's the morning brew guy. Like, I'm starstruck. Nah, he was at the tennis clubhouse, like, drinking, like, a peanut butter sm- uh, smoothie. And I was like, oh, what's the best smoothie here? And then I just, like, went unconscious and blacked out, and I don't remember a single thing he said. Uh, but it was a really cool experience. So yeah, he, he's up there. It is interesting how some humans can have some effects on us that we're just like in awe of them because of the story that's been told and how they presented themselves. Yeah, I, I think there's that. But I also think there's something weird about or something interesting about voice, right? Mm. I think podcasters, when people meet the podcasters they listen to, there's a sense of, of like, oh, that's really weird. I really recognize that voice more so than when you're wa- when you're watching a movie because then the person might be speaking in a, an accent or they might be acting, of course, and you're, it's just different when we're talking, right? I'm not picking up. I'm looking at you, right? So I'm not so attuned to your voice. But when I listen to a podcast once a week, twice a week for three years, and then you meet that person, I think there's a level of, of, of like weirdness, right? It's, 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 it's bizarre, this person you've heard so much and then to meet them. And I think the reason why Bieber plays into that is because his voice is very unique. When he spoke, hmm. like, you're like, that's Justin Bieber, like 100%. Hmm. You know, like, and I, I'm curious, you know, if we closed our eyes and we listened to, to LeBron James talking, it probably wouldn't stand out very much. Or, you know, a lot of athletes or even actors. I don't, I don't know if, if, if Brad Pitt started talking, if you and I'd be like, oh, that's Brad Pitt. But when Justin Bieber spoke, you're like, yep, that's Justin Bieber. It's very unique. Well, on the topic of, of that, it's like, it's interesting how when you're listening to a podcast, you're, you're both friends with the person and also looking up to them in an interesting way where... I, I don't know if we've ever had a relationship or a, a friendship like that with any maybe radio hosts in the past, like is the only other yeah. thing that comes to mind. I think it's influencers as a whole, right? I think I think it's anyone who you get a better sense of their their life and what they're about. Right. So take Joe Rogan, right? He's not interviewing people the way you're interviewing people on CNBC. It's a three-hour long form, and you know what Joe Rogan likes. He recommends things. He talks about things, right? And so I, I think they call it like the parasocial relationship, where it's like the the user. And I hope I'm using that the correct term. But it's like where the, the the viewer like really starts to build a bond with the listener, with the viewer, and that's the power of content, right? When I walk into a room and and people act like they know me, yeah. and I've never met them, that's unique it's pretty cool and it's super powerful and that's i think why the influencer economy influencers are so powerful is because people feel like they're their friends yeah and and this is something i wanted to talk to you about because what what has happened to me in a in a very small scale is there's more people that want to be my friend than i can possibly be friends with in any given moment how do you who's probably been in that position now effectively say no to these people. And I remember listening to Tim Ferriss, who was talking about this five years ago. He's like asking people, how do you, how you say no? And I'm like, dude, what type of problem is this? Like, what, what type of, who's going to deal with this? But I don't know. I now find myself in the position of asking the same question of like, how do you say no effectively and say no with kindness, like, or just ignore, like, what, what's your strategy for that? Yeah. I mean, I get a lot of inbound to do a lot of 
you know, there's podcasts and, and then there's like, oh, like looking for advice. And I, and maybe I'm just not that nice, but I've, I've always had a habit to say no. Like I have this expression I like a lot, which is uh, I used to, and I kind of changed my mind on this a little bit, but I used to say, never get lunch on a Tuesday, right? And what does that mean? Uh, early days of Morning Brew, Alex and I were grinding. We were working really, really hard. And I had this guy who I became friends with, and he's he's become super successful. He's also in like the media space, a little more pop culture-y. I won't mention his name, but he'd be like, yo, let's hang out. I'd be like, great, like what are you doing Saturday? And he'd be like, oh, like wanna get lunch at like Soho House at like 1.30 on a Tuesday? I'd be like, dude, I just can't like take a two hour lunch on Tuesdays. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing and like that's great for you, but I'm not good enough to be able to just like take two and a half, three hours out of my day. And since then I'd be like, you know, just don't go get lunches on Tuesdays. And that's been my mentality. And so I'd say, you know, there's pros and cons. I don't think I've been as much of a mentor to a lot of people's others and I wish I had, but also I want to make sure that I made myself the best version of myself before I act like I can be a, a mentor or a helper to others. And I think my hope is over time, that selfishness, which it is selfish to some extent, will shift as I have free up more time to help other people. But I've been pretty good, uh, depending how you define good, at saying no to things because I think time is precious and time is valuable. And, and I do prioritize spending time with family and friends and work. And, and if that means I, I can say no, if I have to say no to podcasts or say no to certain things, like I, I've just made that trade off. Mm. I, I want to ask about creating great content. You've mentioned that a few times now, and it's clearly important to Morning Brew success, but also your personal brand and creating on Twitter as well. What makes for great content and specifically what makes for great writing? Uh, that's such a good question. And I, I don't have a, a good answer, right? Because content is specific to the audience you're trying to go after, Right. There are a ton of people who I'm sure think Lex Friedman is incredibly boring, incredibly boring, but he gets millions and millions of views on his YouTube and his podcast. And so what is great content? It's content that your target audience, that people are trying to reach, love and want to consume. And how you go about that is different for everyone. I think one thing that's really interesting is there's a hundred categories where if I said, I'm going to create content in that category, you'd say, ah, oh, it's saturated. There's too many people creating content and investing. Too many people creating content on the creator economy. But then there's always someone who pops up in that category, the saturated category, who has a different point of view. I mean, look at the all-in guys, right? They're on episode, I don't know, let's call it 100, right? I think they're at 110. Two years ago, if you said, hey, I'm gonna make a podcast on investing or just like the stock market, I would have been like, there's 100 people doing that. But they've taken a, a form, they have a great combination of a format, of a point of view, they're really intelligent, uh, they're funny, and it works. And so, I mean, it, it's content that your audience loves. It's as simple as that. I think when you're early in something, generally speaking, like I feel as if we all are with the internet, it can be easy to think that everyone's doing it already or that there's no room for another person or another podcast or another blog or another newsletter. But it's just often about making one small tweak that makes a difference. Totally. And I think that I think the problem, though, is that 99% of content out there is not very good. Mm. Like, it's hard to make really good content. And depending on what your goals are, 
average content might not get you to your goals. Mm. Good content may not get you to your goals. The internet is so fascinating because it is zero marginal cost to create content, right? And that's amazing, right? You start a podcast, I'm sure, with zero dollars. Your, your microphone costs like, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. I don't, I don't mean to insult your microphone, but it's cheap, right? But that means I can do it too, and so can anyone. Mm-hmm. And so the power law exists so much in content where it's like, you know, view, eyeballs, ear, you know, ears, um, uh, they're not equally distributed, right? The top people get the most views, have the most opportunities, by the way, just like everything else. But the internet only makes it more extreme because now location and time are two variables taken away. Mm. So I think in 15, 20 years, like the best English teacher in the world can be a billionaire, right? And the best SAT tutor can make hundreds of millions of dollars. Why? Because I rather work with the best SAT tutor than the worst, or, or, or it's not even the worst, than the best that's in my location. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people, there was like during COVID, there was this whole creator economy renaissance, right? And I think the creator economy is fascinating. It's going to grow as a pie, right? But all the rewards are all going to be reaped by the, the top X percent of creators. Yeah, it always works that way. Why have you started to take Twitter seriously in 2023? Again, for a second time. Yeah, so I, I just, I think it's, it's really valuable. Uh, again, just like going on a podcast is valuable and putting your ideas out there and getting inbounds. It, it keeps you top of mind uh, uh, for people. And while I'd love to start creating longer form content, I just don't have the bandwidth and the capacity to do it. So Twitter gives you an excuse to be lazy and write short form content. And so that's why I like it. I, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but I, I want, you know, if I ever leave Morning Brew, I would start a newsletter just because writing is so good. It's so good for you. It's so good for your, your mental health. It's so good for getting your ideas out there. Uh, I don't have the time to do it right now. Or, or I, I mean, I hate when people say I don't have the time. So I will say I have not prioritized it to the extent where I have the time. Uh, but it's just really good. It's really good for you in your career. Who, who do you admire? From a content perspective or, or, or anyone? Both. Who do I admire? Um, it's funny. It goes in waves. As a, let, Let's stick to business for now. We can go to more personal. But it, it goes in waves based off of what I find is interesting, Right. When I'm like, oh, I'm going to create the next $10 billion company and I'm going to, you know, it's going to, it's going to change the world. I'm like, oh, Palmer Lucky is amazing. Like, that's awesome. And then there are other times where like, screw that. I want to work with the seven smartest people or the five smartest people who I love as people, as, as professionals, who I think are so intellectually honest, who are so rigorous. And I want to build a small private equity firm or a holding company. And I look to people like Andrew Wilkinson. I'm like, no, he has it right. And it's, you know, grass is always greener, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. Uh, But it just depends. And so, I mean, anyone at the top of their craft I admire. But my lens is always like, oh, this month, Andrew Wilkinson's the guy. This month, it's Palmer Lucky. This month, I think content's amazing. I want to get better at public speaking. And Sam and Sean over at My First Million, I think are the best podcasts out there. And so it's those guys. And so for me, it very much, and it's all of them, but it definitely does depend on, on what, where my head's at at the time. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Can you speak to personally who, you're, who you admire? Yeah, are? I, it's always, so here's the, I, I will caveat, it's always hard to know people's true intentions, right? But I, I keep a list of people who, you know, have written really interesting, um, 
uh, tweet storms or, or essays about how they balance their life and their work. And to me, people who can become really efficient such that they can prioritize family, I think is fascinating. So, I mean, Alex just tweeted this out. I believe it was, uh, I think his name is Mark Randolph. He's a co-founder, uh, and I could be totally butchering his name, but he's a co-founder of, of uh, Netflix and uh, Tableau, I think. I, again, I could be getting that wrong, but that's, that's, that's or, or no, Looker, I think it's Looker. Um, and he posted something like, you know, he spends time with his family every Tuesday night, like no matter what, it could be a fire drill, that's what he's doing. Or Chris Saka was on, maybe it was Tim Ferriss' podcast, talking about how you know, he just doesn't go to conferences, he moved out to Truckee all because he prioritizes family time. And I really respect that. I think uh, you can, and I think on Twitter, in short form, people tend to make arguments for working really hard or having free time spend time with your family. And I don't think these are mutually exclusive. They may be mutually exclusive in a given day, maybe in a week, in a month, in a decade of your life, maybe. But I think you can find the balance. I think you can be all in. And you'll ha- and then the other times you don't have to be all in, right? And so I think you can do both. I think you can balance both. They can coexist. Uh, and I think people don't, you know, that, that, doesn't get, that doesn't go viral, right? You don't get the rage on Twitter. People don't respond. But I think it's totally possible. And those are the people I admire who can be at the top of their game professionally and the top of their, top of their game personally. I love that. Uh, why did Traction by Gina Wickman get you so excited? Oh, you've really done your research. Um, so we were a small company. Average age at the company was like 22 and a half, right? And so we had no idea what we were doing. And it was so easy to collaborate when it was Alex and I. And then it was easy to collaborate when it was me, Alex, Neil. And then it was easy to collaborate when it was me, Alex, Neil, Tyler. We all just sat in some small room. But at some point... I don't know if the point is six or eight. It's more than one conversation. It's more than one work stream. And I'm just sitting there. I'm like, what we're doing is not working. Like, I don't know what's going on, but it's not working. We have no, I didn't know what, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And then I heard of a few people who read this book. And when the problem was, was we had no plan, right? We had no vision. We had no values. We had no alignment. We had no time to become aligned, right? We had no dedicated, we're going to spend this hour and a half together a week and we're going to speak about our issues, things like that. We didn't have that. And so not that traction, and I do think it's really good, but even if you don't like that framework, having a framework is so important. And so many times when people talk about frameworks, people nitpick a framework, right? OKRs versus this. And, and whether it's a framework about how to run a company or anything, but just having something is the 80%. And so much of the way I think is, is people overthink things and oftentimes, not always, but with most decisions, if you're 80% sure, just go with it. If you have 80% of the information you need, just go with it because that last 20%, you may never get there in your entire life, right? You may never know how customers are actually gonna react. And so I think traction was great. I was 80% confident. I said, okay, let's go with it. Like, what's the worst thing that happens? It's decent, it's better than nothing. I mean, right now it's horrible. Right now what we're doing is not working. And so that's why it was so important for us. You gave Alex that book and said, yo, you have to read this. And then the next day you came to him and was like, what do you think of it? And he was like, uh, what do you mean? I didn't read it. And you're like, dude, what do you mean you didn't read it? Like, how, how didn't you read it? This is the most important thing. Take me through that day when eventually he did read the book. And, but, but I feel as if from hearing you talk about it, that was a pivotal moment and a pivotal day that made the shift of like, oh, 
Austin's actually going to be the CEO in the future because he enjoys maybe some of these activities. But could you speak to that? Yeah, so it's funny. So Alex and I have a not different interpretation of that day, but that day didn't stand out in my mind nearly as much as it did Alex. And we actually haven't spoken about that day until we were on, and I'm sure this is where you got it from, that podcast we were on Crazy Ones a couple weeks ago, and he brought that up. And thinking back, I didn't realize that, but it, it makes sense, right? That, 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 again, that was like 2018, maybe 2019, right? I became CEO in 2021. Uh, yeah, so like a year and a half ago, maybe almost two years ago. And I, I think it's where, you know, Alex is super creative. He's an ideas guy. He's a zero to one person. But if we wanted to scale the business, we had to do the work of putting in systems and processes and communication plans and, and the things that honestly aren't that exciting sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, you know, I, I guess in Alex's eyes, that was the turning point where He's like, oh, Austin is willing to or wants to do these things, and I less so. And so, yeah, I, I think that is more Alex's perspective. But thinking back, it, it makes sense where I was like, hey, these, are the, these aren't the fun things, right? But these are the things we have to do if we want to scale. What have been some of the most effective frameworks that you've taken from the business world and from traction or from an, another book or another idea that you've applied to your personal life? So, um, the 80 20 thing I think is really important, mm. right? I think too often do people either make decisions with no information or they wait until they have, so, you know, they have so much information. And I think one of the reasons people do that, not, one of the reasons I do that, is because you don't want to be wrong, mm. right? You, you, people are scared to be wrong. And so, when you're scared to be wrong, you do one of two things you're indecisive. And by the way, by not making a decision, you're making a decision. You're just not making a, you're not consciously making a decision. You're deciding to not do that thing. So that's the first thing. And the second thing people do is they outsource. And I do this all the time. You outsource decision making. Say, hey, do this for me. And then what happens is when that person's wrong, you become resentful of that person. You become frustrated. You say, hey, that person's not good enough. They should know what they're doing. They should make that decision. And ultimately, you probably should have made that decision. Uh, and this is something that I've recently been thinking a lot about is you know, there are times as CEO, you just have to be the one to make the decision. Say, hey, I'm, I'm confident in this. I'm not always going to be right. Again, if I'm always going to be right, I'm waiting until I have 100% information and we're never going to make a decision. So I'm going to make a lot of the decisions here. Here's the criteria I'm going to use to make these decisions. Sometimes it's going to be gut. And if you want to work at Morning Brew, sometimes you have to be comfortable with me going with my gut. Mm. My gut's going to be wrong. But that, that's just the way I'm going to do things. And so, I mean, this is something that I've recently thought about is I'm just going to trust myself uh, in my personal life and at Morning Brew and be okay and be honest and open when I'm wrong, but make decisions and, and be a decision maker. And I think so often people are scared to be decision makers, especially in their personal lives. And, and, and that leads to just uh, just not, not making decisions. And, and Tim Urban has an amazing TED Talk, if you haven't heard. I mean, Tim, Tim Urban is like one of my all-time favorite follows. Uh, he's incredible. And he has this TED Talk about procrastination. And I watched it, and it gave me like deep, deep anxiety. Why? Because what it talks about is decision-making and procrastination. And it speaks about not procrastinating on things you have to do. It's not procrastinating on, ah, I have to prep for that podcast that I have to do Tuesday. It's procrastinating on the things that don't have deadlines, mm. 
right? And that is, that is so scary that there are all these decisions you have to make in your life that if you don't give yourself deadlines and make decisions, you're gonna procrastinate your whole life, starting that business, proposing to your girlfriend, uh, all these things. And, and it's, it's, it, it really made me think of a lot about decision-making and becoming more decisive. Hmm. Yeah, first thing that came to mind was like, we don't have a deadline for having a child, right? Like, but it's a, something that inherently does potentially have a deadline if you wanna. So yeah, it's a fascinating way of thinking about it. Um, wh- what's the decision that you've made as CEO that you're most proud of? Hmm. That's a good question. See, this is why I, I wanted you to send me questions before. This is a good one to prep for. No, but it's, um, look, I, I think we were at a crossroads where we were a newsletter company and we said we wanted to become more than that. We wanted to be more than a newsletter company. We thought the brand had more merit. We found that to be incredibly challenging. It's been really hard to become more than a newsletter company. You might even argue in hindsight, it was the wrong decision. We were living pretty chill lives. You know, we could have, you know, just hung out and, you know, just coasted. But I wanted more. Uh, And regardless if that was the right or wrong decision, in hindsight, I think it was the right decision. Maybe uh, it's been harder to execute than I thought. But I'm proud of that decision because I I was, I I had a lot of conviction in it. I wanted us to become more. I wanted us to take the Mm -hmm. chance. I think there are so many media companies out there who don't have the ability to do what we've tried. Mm -hmm. And I thought we were one of the few publishers out there, one of the few media companies that actually had the chance to expand successfully, profitably, into direct revenue streams, into multimedia, into podcasts, into video content. We've had false, false starts. We've had some fumbles. Uh, but I think it was the right decision. Uh, and I think it was a hard decision. And to me, the, the hard ones are the ones... I'm, I'm most proud of. Where does that ambition come from to want to be more when you could just be what you are? I, it just, it's like, it's from within, right? I just, I, I, well, I, I mean, a lot of it's from within, right? A lot's like, I just feel like I can do better. I can do more. And a lot of it's also just like seeing other people and be like, oh, wow, this person built a quarter of a billion dollar company or a half billion dollar company. I want to do the same thing. Like, I want to be like that person, right? And so it's a little bit of both. Um, but I think mostly it's like, I just have a drive and I don't want to be complacent. Like complacency scares me. Complacency is very um, anxiety inducing. And that, that, that leads to decisions that put more work on my plate, which make things more stressful. But I think ultimately I'd rather have that growth mindset and not be complacent. When I was growing up, I was thinking about going to the gym. And I was like, well, if I want to go to the gym now, all right, well, that's just going to mean I'm going to have more work to do the next day. And then I'm going to have more work to do to maintain that progress and to grow from there. And so I somewhere in life that changed for me. But I'm curious from your perspective, did you ever have a time when you kind of resented work or resented the idea of growth? And then did it ever change? Or what, were you always somebody who was growth-oriented and trying to achieve? No, I, I, I think... What you're saying is interesting. I, I, I think, and I think it's in some ways right. I think I resent a little bit how, like, average I was growing up, right? I was, like, just, I was a good student, right? But not the best, right? Like, I, I, I don't get, I, I did quite well, 
right? But I didn't get a perfect score on my SATs, and I was around people who did, right? And I was fine at sports, but like I didn't really apply myself in the way that in hindsight I could have and should have. And so you don't get a second chance to be a high school basketball player. You get four, you get a couple years, and that's it. Uh, and yeah, you can play in rec leagues, but it's not the same, right? It's 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 not the same. And I had coaches who tried to explain that to me. Uh, and I, I, I didn't think I was being complacent. I thought I was working hard, but I didn't know what hard work really was. And now that I see I have opportunities, it, it, I, I resent the, the feeling of being average and I want to be great. And I want, I want everyone to be great. Like, it's not just me personally. I want everyone around me to be great. I think everyone can be great and you can define great, whatever that means. But I felt like I was fairly average growing up. And when I went to Michigan, I saw greatness. Like, wow, Stephen mm-hmm. Ross. And again, not forget his personal life. I know, that, you know, whatever. But like all these people, I'm like, oh, my God. The guy's made billions of dollars and, and he's the biggest skyscrapers in Manhattan, right? Or, or just all these people. And I just saw a different way of doing, right? And a different way of being. Uh, what's interesting is at first, a lot of that had to do with finance, a lot had to do with salaries and money. Uh, now... I, I resent that too, to some extent, right? I, I don't resent, I dislike that. And now it's like, oh, wow, like here's a person who every day is creating and building and just, they're just from nothing, just creating. And to me, that's so cool. The idea of, I don't mean content, I mean anything, right? The idea of like you wake up and you just create, you build shit, you create shit. That is just awesome. Like that's a, that's a life to me that is fulfilling. It's just building stuff every single day. Uh, and what's interesting is at the early stage of companies, everything you do has a, you know, it's all measured in percent change, right? Percent change from where you are. Uh, and so that's why the early days of companies to me are so, so exciting is because you can, you can improve a company 20% a week. That's 20%. That's crazy. Why is that particular thing like building things? Why does that resonate with you at such a deep level? It's just so fun. Like I, I don't. It's hard to explain. Like I was never great at art, right? I was never a very artistic person. And to me, that is creating, right? And so, like, if I can't paint, and if I can't, that's why I love cooking, right? The idea you can take all these ingredients, and then in twenty minutes, in an hour, in ten hours, in a week, you can make something unbelievable. You can take this, this thing, all these ingredients, and make something beautiful. Uh, you can you can take code and design and communications and copywriting and build them in that something wants to consume, like someone, someone, something that someone wants to use that can make them better. Like, I don't know. It's just like, what could be more exciting than that? Are, are there any particular stories from your childhood that, are, that draw the line to what you're doing today? And you could look at that and be like, wow, that is crazy. I was doing that at age seven. And now today I'm I'm doing this that is in alignment with that. You know, I was in a couple entrepreneurship competitions and I loved like trading sports cards, but I, I don't have the stories that most entrepreneurs have. Like, oh, I was flipping gum for like 25 cents to a dollar. And I think going back, I, you know, perhaps I, I, I am almost like a little embarrassed that I don't, right? You know, everyone like tells their story, oh, their first side hustle. My first side hustle was Morning Brew, right? And so, wow. Yeah. You know, in a way, that's even more impressive. Yeah, totally. And in, in another way, it's almost embarrassing to me because it's, it's. I, I didn't have that. That that hunger, and, and I think part of it is also, um, like like my 
I was around entrepreneurship, but it wasn't entrepreneurship in the way that I, I couldn't take until later on, until connecting the dots, looking back, I couldn't draw a line between, oh, that person is a lawyer, but maybe they're not really a lawyer. Maybe they're, they run a business and the business they inhabit happens to be law. And I had an internship actually, uh, my senior year of, of high school, my school, you spent the first semester at school, second semester, half in Israel, half uh, doing an internship, and and the managing partner I sat down with, and it was a, I mean, for for it was Baltimore where I grew up, it was D.C. It was a big law firm. I mean, this guy was very successful, and I just sat down one day. I was asking him questions, and he said that to me. He goes, "I don't view myself as a lawyer, because I'm a businessman. I happen to be in the the business of law," and that was twelfth grade. And that was the first time I thought about that. I was like, "Oh wait, all these people around me, maybe they're not building internet businesses. Maybe they're not Mark Zuckerberg. Maybe they're not even tinkering with." Uh, you know, the internet, but they are entrepreneurs. And I, I, so I think I did have more of an entrepreneurial spirit than I realized. And once I realized I could use that spirit, but apply it to the internet, apply it to technology, that's really when things came together. Yeah. So I've been in this position too, where it felt as if that I could do more than what I was actually doing in the day to day. And during that time of, of building, of not building, I was listening to podcasts. I was like, I know there's something more inside me, but like, I don't know how that's going to express itself. Obviously, you were a sophomore when you first joined Morning Brew in some respect. And by the time you graduated, you were full on in building it. But what do you say to somebody who's listening to a podcast and is they know there's something inside them to create something, to build something, but they're not acting on it in this moment? I think the first thing is, is education or even really awareness, right? And I, I think there are so many ways now that you can become aware of this. So for example, one thing I did when I start, started Morning Brew is I listened to this podcast series called How to Start a Startup. And it's, it's Sam, Sam Altman. Yeah, so he ran the course, but it's Peter Thiel. It's all these people. And I listened to that and it was an entirely different way of thinking. Like here are these guys who had three people sleep on their couch and they thought they could build a business from it, and that became Airbnb. Like, and then I listen to these people. I'm like, oh, don't get me wrong, they're brilliant, but I can be these people. Like, I, I don't think Sam Altman's pretty incredible, but some some of the people in that podcast I listen to, I'm like, that person's awesome. But if I put work into it, and I spent a decade, I could be as great as that person. I could be as successful as that person, and that was so empowering. And that led me to Paul Graham's essays, and that led me to. Uh, 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 what's it called? Um, the YC uh, media company. Um, uh, I'm blanking on it. It's it's orange. Um, um, I what anyway? All, all the startup uh, uh, media. Hacker news. Ha- yeah, Hacker news. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I and then I started listening to more podcasts and talking and meeting entrepreneurs. And 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 you know I would go to someone and say, hey, I think Morning Brew could do a million dollars in revenue. And they'd be like, oh, I think you could do a hundred million dollars in revenue. I'd be like, holy mm. shit, like. You know, and it's those things where you meet people who's who's have seen things go from zero. I mean, you've never seen something go from nothing to something. You don't really believe it. Like it's it's hard to have that imagination, and I didn't have that. Uh, but I surrounded myself first with media and then with people who have seen it, who've been there, who have done it, and that expands your mind. So the advice is meet entrepreneurs, talk to them, like feel their energy because it's it's contagious. Uh, and how how can you listen to that podcast series and not be like, I got to give this thing a go. This is amazing. 
What or who is expanding your vision right now? So I, I have a few people uh, who, people talk about mentors, right? I don't know if I really believe in, not that I don't believe in them, but I think mentors are useful. But I think it's important to surround yourself with people who are a little bit ahead of you, kind of where you are, and a little bit behind you. To kind of have like a cohort of people around you. So I have this group of people, and it's those people, right? It's no one famous. It's not, you know, it's not Mark Zuckerberg, but it's these people. Bieber's that, not in there? No, I wish. I wish. I, the Bieber story, the, the, the real thing I screwed up was I, I should have I should have figured out a way to get his number or like, you know, we're at a tennis club. I didn't ask him to play tennis. Like that's, you know, it was a, it was a it'll go down as the greatest regret of my life is not asking Justin Bieber, do you want to hit some balls? Um, but, you know, it, whatever. And anyway, uh, and just like, to me, it's, Hearing someone amazing talk one time is great, but also they don't know anything about you. They don't know anything about your business. They don't know how you operate. They don't know what you're good at. They don't know what you're bad at. And so, you know, advisors in some ways to me are actually a bad thing, especially, at, you know, for, for younger people. But people who you talk to every day, who you're texting with or once a month. I mean, this this great group of people, it's like a next generation YPO uh, that hasn't been publicly announced yet, so I won't uh, give the name. But all these people who you really get to know for hours at a time, those are the people who inspire me and give me ideas and give me energy. It's not the, oh, this billionaire who I talk to once every six months. That doesn't do it for me because what they say is so pie in the sky. It's so, it's so irrelevant to my day-to-day. It, it seems like it's, it's hard to bridge the gap. So how, how should somebody go about like building this or creating this for themselves? Yeah, again, it's, it's very much surrounding yourself with the content and the people. And, and you know, it's not like I, I, I found this person. Like, there's one person in particular I text with every single day. I, I think I talk to him more than my fiance. Um, and I'm not kidding. She thinks it too. Uh, and I didn't six years ago. I started talking to him and be like, oh, this guy in six years, we're going to be texting every day. It just happened naturally. And so mm-hmm. you have to increase your, your luck surface area, so to speak. You talk to enough people to hopefully get lucky and find that connection with people who you inspire and they inspire and you have a mutually beneficial relationship. You have to surround yourself with the right people, but you can't you can't forward-looking be like, oh, I'm going to make that person my, my person. Because, you know, maybe you'll get lucky and it'll work, but you probably won't. Yeah, makes sense. I want to talk quickly about your content diet. You mentioned on the Palm podcast in February 2020 that you try not to read books published in the last five to 10 years. Is that still true? And if so, what is your content diet? I think that, that that's directionally right, but I think more so I try to read less things that are not evergreen, things that are about the now, Right especially politics and world news. I used to care so much about that. And now to me, it's, I, I just try to get, you know, it's like in and out every day. Oh, a little, a little taste here, right? I read my morning brew, of course, maybe one other thing, but that's it. Like I'm not trying, I used to read hours and hours every day and, and it just, it makes you go crazy. But I want to read timeless things. Um, and I, I've actually, I, I historically have only read nonfiction but I have about 10 to 15 books the first half of the year I want to read that are nonfiction. And then second half of the year, I just want to dive into fiction. And the, the, you know, what's a little ironic is, I'm sure you saw, we spoke about before, Lex Friedman put up this tweet with all these books he got dunked on. What's funny is, those are the same books I want to read. I want to go back and read those books from high school. Right? They're, they're classics for a reason. 
right? And what's my perspective on Catcher in the Rye now? What's my perspective on To Kill a Mockingbird? How do I think about these things? Great Gatsby. How do I think about these things now before reading them, having read them a decade ago? And how will I think about those today? Uh, I just think it's a, it's a fascinating exercise. Not to say I won't read other books as well, but I'm excited to do that and dive back into fiction. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I like how you have fiction towards the second half of the year, so you could always procrastinate and not do it if you don't want to. No, you can't procrastinate. <laughs> can't do that. <laughs> Fair. Uh, why do you love socks? Oh, that was so. That was a previous iteration of thinking. Morning Brew used to be uh, way more financy. Used to be way more male, right? It, 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 in the early days, it was very um, it was mostly men who read it. Um, now it's actually like close to 50-50. It's very financy. And I thought we could create a not, a, not called Morning Brew, I thought we could create a, a brand of, of men's basics clothing that we could run on the side. Socks, underwear, t-shirts, you know, like that, that stuff all is kind of gross and guys never change that. And can we do like a twice a year subscription uh, where we, I think socks in particular, right? They're either like plain black or now you have like super funky out there socks. But no finance bro is going to wear super funky out there socks, but they also may not want to wear just like plain back black socks. And so I was like, what if you can make undershirts and boxers and socks that are like a little bit cooler than plain black, right? But they're not like, you know, they don't have, I don't know, unicorns and like, you know, a bunch of colors because that doesn't fly in the finance world. That was a, a dream from a different day. Uh, maybe I'll try that again at some point, or I will try that at some point. But that is no longer where the Morning Brew audience is. Yeah, hopefully bring that back someday. Um, I know you're you're short on time here, and I'd love to – I close off these podcasts with a challenge for people. A challenge points to the place in your heart you want people to take action from this conversation or this episode. So I'm curious if a challenge comes to mind from anything we've spoke about or anything in general that we haven't. Yeah, I, I would challenge everyone to go listen to that podcast series, right? And, and then not just listen to it, but then do something with that, right? What's your takeaway? Find one action item from that series. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get in touch with Sam Altman. I'm going to try to find a co-founder. I'm going to try to tinker on an idea. I'm going to think of an idea, right? Start small. But what is the thing you're going to do from that series that's going to change your life? And I think for me, that, that podcast series was life-changing. I probably listened to it four times, five times. Uh, and so I think it'd be life changing for others, but you can't just stop with the series, listen to it and then figure out what's the, your next step from there. I love that. Um, it's linked below. I have not listened to it. I'm going to right after this. Amazing. And, um, thank you so much for your time. Austin underscore reef on Twitter linked below morningbrew.com. Obviously anywhere else we should send people to connect with you further. Yep. That's it. Just Twitter and morningbrew.com. Awesome.